0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
1: And I'm Cameron Conway.
0: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Hi everyone and welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway, and today we're going to answer a very pressing question. How much money should I be saving for my retirement?
1: Is the answer all of it because retirement is getting more expensive and it's putting the tired in retirement now?
0: It feels like it can be some days, right? It feels like there's so many demands on us for our money. But the truth is, when you have an understanding of what's going to be there waiting for you already, you can have a clearer picture of how much you'll need to put away. So let me explain. There's actually three different layers of savings during retirement that we're going to cover today. And I also think it's very important to be able to separate out your fixed versus your variable income during retirement, and I'll tell you why when it comes to planning and making your income projections for later on. And finally, we're going to be talking about how your spending patterns change during retirement, or at least what we've seen over the years for a number of our clients that have retired and gone through these transitions.
1: So let's just get right into what are the three layers of retirement savings? I'm assuming it's coupons, bingo, and CPP.
0: Well, it can feel like those are the things that we depend on to get ourselves through retirement. What I'm actually referring to here is looking at what parts will make up your retirement income once you have retired. So let's take a look at the first layer. And think about it like a three-layer cake. So at the very bottom, we have government benefits. That's money that you know is going to be coming in on a regular basis from the government. The second is your workplace pensions or group savings or defined contribution.
1: Also known as the inner frosting of the cake.
0: Well, you know, there's free money in there. So that is pretty sweet. And the last is your personal savings. And this is why it varies so much person to person, depending on how those first two tiers line up for you, and how thick they are, it will determine how much more you need to save on your own. And a little bit later on, we'll also talk about the different accounts and where you should be putting this money.
1: So what kind of government benefits can we look forward to? Are we talking like bailouts, HLOC forgiveness? What are you talking about?
0: No, we're talking about the basics. So things like Canada Pension Plan, old age security, and even a few of the lesser known ones like the guaranteed income supplement and the allowance, which are for lower earners.
1: So you got a couple of them there that pretty much everyone will be able to claim to, then a couple extra special ones just to give some people an extra little push. Is that right?
0: That's right. So the CPP, it's most commonly known as kind of the big pension that the majority of us will receive if you've been here and working in Canada for a number of years. It is based on your employment history and the amount of earnings that you've had Over your whole working career so the best thing that I recommend is to go to Service Canada there are the my service Canada or my CRA websites that you can visit online and you can actually get a projection that is very specific to you about how much you would be set out to receive when you turn 60 65 or 70 or really anywhere in between. But those are kind of the major ages that people will look like when they're making these decisions.
1: Now, is there any kind of variance between 60, 65, and 70, or is it a flat rate?
0: There is. It does vary based on when you decide to take it. So there's a couple important points here. The first one is... CPP is taxable, so it's going to be added to your income. So if you're working, and especially if you're making a good amount of money, it may make sense to defer taking your CPP until you've retired and your income is naturally lower. Mm -hmm. There's also a built-in reduction in the system. So if you start at 60 instead of 65, you're actually giving up 36% 36% of your pension, and it's calculated every month based on when you actually start receiving those checks. If you wait until after 65, it increases, it can go up to a maximum of 42% higher, but then it's really a bit of a game of chicken because at that point, the government is counting on not paying you for as long of a period of time. So even though your monthly check might be a little bit higher, It's all going to be based on your life expectancy. So you may not collect those checks for as long as you would have if you had started at 65 or even 60. There are break-even calculations that you can do. Um, There's some calculators online. That's something that a financial planner can help you with as well if that's a decision that you're looking to make. We do that as well, of course, at Braun Financial
1: so part of the game then is figured out how you will get the most out of cp at the end whether you take it at 65 a little earlier or a little later but i guess this is going to depend on your personal situation like are you still capable of working do you have some extra income coming in do you just want to grab the parachute and run It kind of comes down to what you want to do, I guess.
0: That's right. And at this stage, what we're looking to do is just get a number from Service Canada that's going to form that bottom layer of your cake, that's going to form the bottom layer of that first tier so that you have a general idea of what you can expect should you continue on at the same salary level and continue to working to age 60 or 65 or whatever number or age you've chosen when you do your projection and i mean it is just an estimation there are things that will be factored in a little bit later like for example if you were home raising kids under the age of seven you can have some of those lower income years dropped there's also an automatic exclusion of up to eight years of your lowest earning periods, which is a good thing because, you know, who hasn't had a work history where it's kind of ebbed and flowed? Or even if you've had a perfect trajectory of straight up, those first years, you don't start
1: at the top, right? Well, exactly. Or even the first years you actually start working, it could just be part-time doing stuff with school. And so it's good to have those leaner years kind of cut out of the calculation.
0: Yeah. And it's also important to keep in mind that if you stop working before the normal retirement age that they look at, like 60 or 65, then those are going to be zero for the CPP calculation because you're not actually adding in. So if you retire early, like there's a big movement out there like financial independence, retire early, the FIRE movement, I love it. But um, it can affect your CPP calculation Just because if you retire really early, you're not paying into the system. And if you're not paying into the system, they're certainly more reluctant to give you a big check.
1: Well, to be honest, we have to think that a lot of people who are pulling the plug at 55 probably aren't depending on CPP either.
0: That's a good point. But for the rest of us or for those that have taken maybe more of a traditional route. uh, So here we are at the beginning of 2022. If you're thinking or asking yourself, okay, this sounds great, how much can I look at, at in terms of receiving from CPP, I can tell you that as of now, the maximum payment per month for this program is about $1,253. But the average payment based on the last quarter, so October 2021, was about $702. So you can see a bit of a variance there. So not everyone has contributed the maximum, and that's why you see see a difference. But for the majority of people, if we're looking at the average, it's about a $700 check per person that they're looking at. And of course, that will be different for you depending on what your personal earnings history and contribution records look like.
1: Yeah, and that $700, it doesn't seem like it would go very far anymore. Even if it's a couple, you can push up to fourteen dollars or $1,500. A lot of areas, especially like we are, that doesn't even cover rent if you're unlucky enough not to be able to own a house. So are there anything else available? that can kind of help people with retirement so they can actually afford to live?
0: Of course, well, and like I said, we're still in that first layer. So the other common government benefit is the old age security. And that one is actually not based on what you've earned or contributed. It's based on being either a Canadian citizen or a legal resident here. And the minimum amount of time that you've had to have resided in Canada is at least 10 years since you were 18 once you've been qualified for 40 years then it's typically you get the maximum so what is the requirement this one has less flexibility it's right at 65 so 65 or older again you do have to apply for it um, but it is if you've met the maximum it's the same for everyone and again Speaking at the beginning of 2022 here, it's about another $642. So we're adding up our 700 average from the CPP plus our 640 odd dollars from the old age security. And all of a sudden we've got just over $1,300 in our hands to play with.
1: So I can afford ground beef more than once a month now?
0: That's right. If you budget correctly, right? I mean, cost of food is going up. These uh, these pensions do get reviewed quarterly, and they can increase as well if the cost of living, uh, as measured by the Consumer Price Index, goes up as well. So that's um, that's another factor.
1: Yeah, more on the Consumer Price Index. A couple podcasts ago, we were talking about the Bank of Canada, if you want to go deeper into that.
0: Absolutely. And if you find yourself with little saved and no workplace pensions or anything like that, you might want to look into the guaranteed income supplement and the allowance. So those are two government benefits that are also available. Uh, The allowance can start as early as age 60, but um, they are income tested and the amounts for that can change and it can change based on whether you're single, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, what your either personal or family income is. So take a look. Uh, These are federal programs. They're very readily available online. And again, you can always contact Service Canada and get some immediate information about those. So that pretty well sums up the first layer of our cake, the first layer of savings that's kind of done for you automatically behind the scenes, as long as you're living and working in Canada, legally, of course, and this is something that is the beginning of your saving for retirement income.
1: Okay, now that we've covered the freebies from the government to get your vote, let's move on to what else is available. Let's say you are one of the few that actually has some form of pension at work. How can you understand that and make sure you're using it correctly to kind of build your retirement? So let's talk about the frosting.
0: Sure. So these are, like you said, the workplace savings programs. And depending on where you work or who your employer is, they vary so widely. So we're just going to kind of broad base, kind of give you an overview of the different types, what they are and what they can mean for your retirement. So we'll start at the very top. The absolute gold standard of pension plans is what's called a defined benefit pension plan. And that's a pension plan where, very similar to the government benefits that we just discussed, it's a fixed amount where you'll get a statement every year that will say, if you keep working here loyally and faithfully to 60, 65 or beyond, here is what we will pay you each and every month during your retirement, and here's the allowance that we would make for your spouse if you have one.
1: Yeah, defined benefit is kind of the set it and forget it. You're good throughout retirement plan. That's it's getting harder and harder to find if you're outside of a well, a government type of employment, nursing, teachers, uh, government admin. This was very common years ago, such as, well, both of our grandfathers both work for rail lines and they lived off of this through their entire retirements. But it's getting harder in the private sector to track these down now because of how well they've paid out and the guarantees they have.
0: Yeah, my grandparents, uh, my grandpa, he fed six kids off of this, you know, when he was working. He's like you said, in the rail, in the union. And I mean, even when everyone had grown up and moved on and the grandkids and the kids would all come back for Sunday dinner. Those pension checks kept uh, kept Sunday dinner on the table for over 30 people for years and years and years after he'd stopped working.
1: Yeah, they're great, but part of the problem is, like I said, it's trying to find it. So a lot of these companies have gone to like uh, define contribution or RRSP schemes. So how would that work for someone?
0: Sure. So before we segue into that, Let's take a quick little side road into looking at what is a fixed source and what is a variable source because the government benefits that we've named so far and the defined benefit pension plan are all fixed sources. And what I mean by that is, as long as your earnings stay about the same or increase over time, they're pretty well a sure thing. You know what you're gonna get, you know what it's gonna be worth. Of course, if you change jobs, that can change the picture considerably. But if you're close to retirement, these can give you a very accurate idea of what you know will come in during retirement. So I like to see a very, very strong amount of cash flow coming from fixed sources because we know you're not as subject to the ups and downs. But of course, like we said, that's not the case for everyone.
1: Okay, so if defined benefit, the set it and forget it one is considered a fix, would defined contribution and the other more popular ones today, would those be considered variable?
0: Yes, so let's talk about what they are. Most commonly, people will have a group RRSP or something with a match through their work where you know you put in 1% or 2% or 5% whatever it may be and your employer will match. Now, a lot of those programs will require you to put in money before they give you money as well. So if you have one of these at work, please take a look and make sure that you're taking advantage of the absolute maximum that you can because it's free money. It's on the table, but they typically won't go back, right? So grab it while you can, while you're working there.
1: Yeah, if you want, you can check our uh, podcast archives. We did a whole episode just on RRSPs and TFSAs that kind of give you the ins and outs. Today, we're just bringing up how this can apply directly to your retirement planning going forward right now.
0: That's right. And so this group type plan, uh, anything that is variable. So you get a choice in what you'll invest in. And they basically say to you that the outcome at the end is not known. The outcome at the end is based on how the funds that you have selected, either on your own or with the advisor through the plan, have performed.
1: Yeah, so like one month you could be getting like $1,000 a month. But then the markets go up like crazy. You could be getting 1200 1300 a month. Then you can crash. You'd be down like seven or $800. you are kind of at the whim of the stock exchange.
0: That's right. So it'll depend on how you're invested, both during your savings period and how you're invested later on. And if you find that you've changed jobs quite a bit throughout the years, you might have a number of locked-in accounts floating around. And what a locked-in account is, it's something that had come from either a pension plan or something that was either federally, provincially regulated specifically for your retirement. And locked-in money It can be hard to get at, but it's essentially designed to stay in a locked-in account until you retire. And when you do retire, depending on how it's registered, it can be based on um, minimums and maximums as well.
1: So when we're looking at the different fund and investment options in these more variable accounts, what should we be looking out for so we can plan our retirement properly?
0: Right. So in anything where you have the ability to make a decision about how the money is invested, that means there will be some variance in what you'll receive as compared to maybe the person sitting in your workplace next to you. It's going to be based on your investment style, how much risk you've taken on. But for our purposes today, we're talking about how much you'll have during retirement at the end and how much you can count on these plans so when we're working with anything that is not a fixed source with anything that's variable you have to look at a projection of how much you think you will earn on that money over a period of time and fp canada they're the organization that regulates certified financial planners they actually publish a guide that's based on real market data every year that will tell you based on your risk profile what an appropriate rate of return is for projections. So these are the rates of return that a financial planner, a certified financial planner will use when they're doing retirement income projections for you but i have found in my own practice the best defense the ability to stay on top of this so that you really get a clear picture of how much money each of these accounts will provide for you is to update these projections at least every couple years so you can look at what you estimated it would be And then you can look at what it has really done. And of course, as you get closer to retirement, these numbers really tighten up and your projections can get pretty accurate. So essentially what you're trying to do is determine how much these accounts will be worth at retirement age. And from there, we can look at how long they will last during retirement and how much income you can take out of them to make sure that they sustain for whatever period you're looking at. So whether that's to age 90 or to age 100, those are the typical numbers we use for planning purposes.
1: A lot of this comes back to the risk profile, which essentially means how comfortable are you with the markets? If you're really comfortable, you have a high risk profile, it means you've got a lot more stocks in the funds. If you've got a low risk profile, it means you've got mostly bonds and GICs, which don't fluctuate a lot. You're not worried about your principal. You get your couple percentage points. So a lot of people, they'll be more high risk earlier on to take advantage of that volatility to grow it. And then as they get closer to retirement, they'll start dropping down the risk profile to get more into bonds and GICs. And this is important because when you talk to a financial planner or another financial services person, your risk profile determines what you're allowed to invest in. You can't go in and say, oh, I'm really super conservative and then ask for the super high equity funds. These two play together. So your risk profile determines what investment options you get going forward. So you can't prepare for retirement. So you've got the growth stage, you got your steady stage, and then you've got your income stage where you start to pull all this out. So I guess this kind of ties back to what you talked about at the beginning, where the final piece of this would be your personal savings, which isn't just throwing money at uh, seg funds and the like, but what you can do with your money on the day-to-day.
0: Yeah, so the last layer in your cake, personal savings, is all about filling the gap. So if you've kind of been doing your homework through and you've figured out the fixed source, you've figured out the variable sources, you've contacted Service Canada, you've contacted your workplace, and you've gotten a good picture of what you'll receive so far, then really your personal savings is all about making up the difference. And if you go making up the difference to what, it's making up the difference to your desired lifestyle during retirement. And a lot of people, you hear things out there like, oh, you know, we'll be saving so much money during retirement because we won't be going to work, we won't have to buy our wardrobe, we won't be commuting but in experience a lot of people will replace that with other things right because now you've got a whole day stretching out ahead of you and you don't just want to be sitting on your couch staring out the window all day Uh, lifestyle during retirement changes as we do
1: well exactly the uh, thousands of dollars you may have once spent on clothes could now be thousands of dollars in golf clubs (laughs)
0: That's right. Or, you know, that dream vacation that you've been talking about since you were in your 20s, and you finally have the time to do it, or you finally have the money to do it. So... During retirement, things typically happen in stages. There is that initial, you're let out the gate, you have all this newfound freedom, you want to travel, you want to eat at the nice restaurants, you want to go to the hockey games, you want to have that lifestyle. And that lifestyle comes with a price tag. So it's figuring out what you like to do. So you specifically, or you and your partner, if you have one, What do you envision those first 10, 15, 20 years of retirement to look at, look like? And how long do you think that period will last?
1: And on top of that, you still have to pay your bills. If you're in a house, you've got property tax, utilities. If you don't, you got rent. So it's managing the two where you still have to cover your food, your expenses, but still enjoy yourself because so many people, they... Convince themselves if they just work harder and harder and harder in those early years, they can finally rest and relax and enjoy themselves later in life. You have to make sure there's actually the funds available to enjoy yourself. Otherwise, you're just cooped up in the house all day.
0: Right. So, using these different stages of retirement can be a bit of a goalpost for trying to decide how much extra spending money that you're going to need above and beyond your day to day, like Cameron was saying. So, After the fun is done, a lot of people, as they're kind of in the middle stage of their retirement, they might want to stick a little bit closer to home, spend more time with family and enjoy the simple things. You know, a lot of people will see them pay more attention to their gardens or or their community clubs nearby or smaller social groups, things like that. And of course, later on in retirement, there can be care costs that you may have not planned for But that can be a reality for a lot of people. And that can be anywhere from home care costs to assisted living to even potentially more care than that. And that can require a significant lump sum. Uh, A lot of people sell their homes at some point to fund these things, but not everyone has a home. So where will the money come from kind of thing?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. This is sort of the darker side of retirement, past the bells and whistles and having fun. It's taking care of yourself in those later years, like even both of our fathers are disabled right now, so it's just where do you make up the difference so part of the savings has to go towards paying the bills, enjoying life a bit, but sometimes those savings also gets eaten up by having in-home nurses or having to go to a care home or extra medical costs that may not be covered by provincial plans. It's making sure you're trying to cover all of your bases for all these eventualities and just trying to be disciplined enough younger in your life so you'll be more comfortable, good, bad, and ugly later on, which is why the personal savings side is not always popular, especially if you're already putting some money towards RRSP or other investments, but it's to try and make future you suffer a little less.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we're here in BC. We have Uh, Like Fraser Health, Interior Health, Island Health, Vancouver Coastal Health, Northern Health, that kind of thing. Um, But most provinces will have some arm that will have access to things like home care or assisted living or things like that, that are typically funded by a certain percentage of your income. So if there's nowhere else to go, check with your province to see what is available from that point of view. Uh, like I know here in BC through Fraser Health, where we are, there's an assisted living program that can take up to 70% of after-tax income. So at that point, if you don't have the lump sum saved, it's essentially going through the process of getting an assessment done, making sure you qualify for the care, and then turning over a significant percentage of your your pay, basically, or I guess your savings. It's not really pay at that point in time, but um, let's let's stop playing the Debbie Downer here. All of that was just to to give you some insight in the different things that you're going to be looking at funding during retirement, and the purpose of that is so that you can come up with your own number of what do I think I'm going to spend each month. And like I said, that number, you'll probably not have one, you'll probably have three, one for the early retirement, one for the in-between phase, and maybe one for later on. And then depending on how long you think each period of time you'll be spending in each period of time, then there can be some calculations that can be done or a financial planner can help you with those where you're essentially figuring out how much you need to have saved to get to reach those goals. So the personal savings is to cover any gaps that there may be from the fixed sources, from the government benefits, the workplace pensions, or group savings, and and from the needs that you've expressed that you'll have throughout this period, this long period that's that's called our retirement.
1: Okay, so let's say I've figured out my ideal numbers for retirement. I have a rough idea what I'm getting for CPP, my pension if I have it through work, my personal savings, but how do I actually go about using my savings to achieve that dream number of mine?
0: So there's a number of different vehicles that you can use for your personal savings, and we've talked about these in greater detail in other podcasts.
1: Are the vehicles like a Mustang, a Challenger, Cashman, where they go up in value kind of thing, or...
0: They're actually more like your tax-free savings account, your registered retirement plan, non-registered. So TFSAs, RRSPs, things like that. Taxation can really affect how fast you're able to save, how much you're able to save, and what you end up with. So let me explain. Like an RRSP has been for years a very popular way of saving money for retirement. And the big reason for that is you will in most cases if you're a normal employee that has taxes withheld from your paycheck then you'll get money back when you file returns so there's potential that you can get a refund based on how much your income is what tax bracket you fall into a lot of people will use that refund to reinvest and accelerate their savings so you can actually end up more because you're using the money twice you're using the initial investment and then you're also using Using the money that would have otherwise gone to the government now the flip side of this is this money is going to be taxed later on when you retire so you want to make sure that you'll be in a lower tax bracket during retirement and that it won't put you in a position where you might lose some government benefits like old-age security and things like that that can be income tested so that's something to keep in the back of your mind as well
1: yeah, that sounds great. We've kind of talked a lot about RRSPs, but uh, what about TFSAs? I've always heard that it's kind of better to uh, max those out first because they got some better tax advantages minus the refunds. So you get an RRSP, right?
0: Right. So that's the big one. TFSAs, you will not get any money back, but I like TFSAs, especially if you find yourself in the position where where you're going to have a lot of your income during retirement come from fixed sources. And, you know, even if you're not, you're going to want access to money during retirement that is not going to be added to your taxable income for the year. And that's exactly what TFSAs will do for you later on in life. So I'm a big fan of using those to their fullest if you're able to do so. And it's got a bunch of other advantages, like um, if you're in a common law or spousal relationship and someone passes away, you can keep the other person's contributions into the plan longer term.
1: Well, exactly. If both of you have maxed it out, that's 160K right there, not including gains and everything else. That could be a, a big thing to have, especially if it doesn't have to clear through probate and everything else.
0: Yes, and I always tell people to... In, in most situations, if they have other assets, to put the highest growth potential assets in the TFSA because you're not going to be taxed on them later on when you take it out and you're not taxed on it throughout the ride.
1: Yeah, it's a good place to have like the higher risk funds, things with dividends in it. It's a, a good place to stick that kind of stuff where you can kind of having the more low risk bond GIC balance funds in the RSP instead.
0: That's right. And we've talked about previously for RSPs with the current tax brackets. And of course, this can change in future years. These things always do over time. Um, When income is less than $50,000, there's maybe not as much of an advantage that you would get in an RSP compared to something like a tax-free savings account. So I think it's our TFSA versus RSP What was the title of that podcast? Do you remember, Cam?
1: Uh, I think it was Everything You Need to Know About RRSPs and TFSAs.
0: So that talks about that in a little bit more detail. But the main point here is making sure that you have saved using different types of accounts so that you have the accessibility that you want in your funds later on, like I said with the TFSAs, but also the higher growth potential that you could get if you choose to reinvest your refunds like you'd see through an RSP, And of course, if you've done everything you can in both of those, you're in an incredibly good position. But uh, after that is something that's called a non-registered account where any growth or gains is subject to capital gains tax. But that's probably a story for another day. So that was our insight in how we look at planning for retirement and how we help our customers talk through all of these different decision points that they have to make and also looking at the numbers because like I said savings is so so personal it's not always incredibly helpful to just say oh you need 10% of your income you need 20% it's going to be different for each person that we talk to you if you've been following a benchmark or something like that That's a good place to start. But as you get closer, it's probably worth your while to make sure that the numbers make sense and that they'll fully fund the retirement that you desire. And I always encourage people the sooner you start, the better. So if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, the best time to start is now. But it's never too early to start saving for retirement. The time, I mean, I know for me, it goes in a blink of an eye and then you're 10 years older and here we are in our late 30s kind of going, where did the time go? So be as proactive as you can. feel free to work with a financial advisor. If there's someone that you're comfortable with in your area, that's great. If you're looking for someone, if you're in BC, we're happy to talk to you. Feel free to reach out at brawnfinancial.com. And as always, we hope you enjoyed. Until the next time, take care and all the best.